This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to this special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm James Seal and I'm joined by The Spectator's political editor, Katie Balls, and Craig Oliver, former Downing Street Director of Communications and now a partner at FGS Global. Katie, the Tories have again dominated this week. Simple question we're asking on today's podcast, do they have a death wish? So Ella Bravman was asked this question this week by Nick Robinson on the Today programme. And she said, no, not at all. Now... There are some people who think Sarah Braverman does have a death wish for the Tory party in the sense that um, she's clearly railing against at the moment Rishi Sunak's plan B on Rwanda and uh, we have lots of MPs consulting one another. But I think when it comes to answering that question, it's not just about the boats bill, though I think this is symptomatic of the issue. I think it's just a question after last year when the party ousted two leaders and then we've had a relative period of calm now it could be that Rishi Sunak manages to calm the troops and actually next Tuesday you have a fairly peaceful situation but it certainly feels once again as though those tensions are erupting and it might be I'm interested to hear what Craig thinks on this perhaps not that the Tory party generally has a death wish but once you've been in government for 13 years perhaps it's just so much bitterness such unhappiness and so many different grudges from over the years as well as I think the fact that the in 2019 they won seats they didn't expect I mean you have a really diverse coalition of Tory MPs now that it's just actually really almost impossible to make everyone happy and lots of them are not willing to compromise. Craig what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I I try not to be too dramatic in these kind of situations and to be level-headed about it. But I really do think that they have taken leave of their senses. It looks like a party that is completely obsessed by an issue that it really is not able to do a huge amount about. You know, Rwanda, even if they get everything they want, only a very few people are going to be sent over there. And so they're kind of digging in on this issue um, that is very problematic for them. And I think one of the basic rules of politics is when you are in a hole, stop digging and climb out of it. But yet you have various factions and wings of the Conservative Party who seem determined to keep digging down and down. I think it's absolutely right that they have been in power a very long time. And that does bring out bitterness and infighting. I also think it creates a certain kind of arrogance. There's an assumption that because you've been in power for so long, that somehow you can keep doing this. You can keep insulting the intelligence of a lot of people around you, insulting the intelligence of the electorate, doing increasingly extreme things and thinking it isn't going to have a cost. Next year, the projections of the polls, polls can be wrong, but they're unlikely to be that wrong. Next year, the polls are that the Conservative Party are going to be in very, very serious trouble in an election. And I just don't think that they've woken up to that or seen that the only way to get through this is to have some kind of unity. I mean, Katie, Craig mentions the polls there. I just wonder what sort of role that Labour's playing in all the calculations. Because I think perhaps during the Brexit years, there was a sense that the Tories were just fighting among themselves. Labour wasn't really electable under Jeremy Corbyn. Is it now more fighting is due to the fact that Labour seems much more electable and going to win next year and so people will give up? Or is that the sense that, you know, Rishi Sunak's trying to make this about Labour and what they're going to do? They don't really have to say much on migration, do they? Yeah, I mean, I think it's broader than just migration when we're looking at that question. So when it comes to what the Labour Party is doing. I think the problem is you have Rishi Sunak saying, 
come on guys, let's fight Labour. You have the Tory party who you said, you know, list your main opponent. They might list one of their conservative colleagues before you get to Keir Starmer. And it certainly feels with the Tory tribes, you sometimes get more like that. And I think when you get to the point where, for example, you have David Frost, who has argued today in the Telegraph that potentially it could be time to change leader. Now, I don't think this is a mass opinion. Jonathan Gullis, the Tory MP today, was raising questions about the Rwanda Plan B, but was effectively um, still saying uh, that, you know, when he was pressed, do you think Rishi Sunak should lead the party into the next election he was pretty much saying in any circumstance he thinks it should be Rishi Sunak leading the party into the next election I think to get through that many leaders um, they tried different tactics you know Liz Truss was very much you know going for bold things and hoping people would fall in line Rishi Sunak initially was almost trying to give different bits to the coalitions if, if they can't really unite behind you know Rishi Sunak I, I can't see how after you know more bloodletting of another leadership contest or attempt to oust a prime minister it's going to get any better and I think to lots of the public and lots of voters yeah they might not think Rishi Sunak is their favourite leader compared to some other potentials but I think lots of people look at it and just think this is a party that cannot function in a normal way you think about the turnover last year and adding to that now. Craig you were in government of course you dealt with Tory MPs during that time what are your observations of how the Conservative Party has changed over the past decade? Has it? There's always been certain elements that are quite, you know, sort of outspoken, willing to be quite pugilistic. But have those tendencies got worse as a kind of accumulating effect over the past 13 years? It's definitely got worse over the last 13 years. I think there's a big question about whether or not the Conservative Party is, you know, broad enough church to contain these groups going forward. I also think it is the narcissism of small differences. If you look at this policy, yes, the the part the um the country cares about immigration, but it cares about a lot of other things before it cares about this. And the Conservative Party looks like it's willing to tear itself apart over a policy which can have a marginal difference. And I think probably the great strategic error of the Conservative Party going back over the last 13 years, including my old boss, David Cameron, was to raise the salience of of immigration as an issue without actually necessarily having the capacity to properly deal with it. What they should have been doing over this time is having a grown-up conversation about the causes and effects of that and the necessity of it. And instead, we've ended up in a situation where you've got factions of the party fighting over a policy which is pretty much undeliverable. And even if it is deliverable, will only make a marginal difference. I think... In a way, um, it's not just that the Tories have been speaking about it and failing to deliver, but you also have had figures such as Nigel Farage raising it in potency. So I'd, I'm not sure there is a way to you know not make it such an issue. Of course, Rishi Sunak decided to start the year saying stop the boats, which has made it front and centre. And all of a sudden, this policy, which was only ever going to be one part of their offer, always seems to tamic and you know, everything is gathered around it. I suppose when, just going back to... The questions about different leaders and so forth. I think if you speak to some of the MPs who want Rishi to go further, even though the Rwandan government has suggested that they might not take anyone in that in that situation anyway, I think there is a feeling with some of these MPs that the One Nation and the that some of those on the right cannot really be in the same party. And, you know, you have people like Andrea Jenkins, you have others say, you know, effectively we've got some Lib Dems in the party and they shouldn't be there. And it does raise the question, which is, if, you know, 
they can't really get a lid on it in the next couple of weeks, you know, going to the new year and it does spill out and it's still an if. You do wonder if you start heading to a potential Tory split in the future after an election or potentially, uh, you know, a bad defeat would do the split for them just in the sense, you know, has the Tory party become too big in terms of its different opinions to all be under, under one umbrella? And I think partly things such as, you know, the rise of social media for MPs, what Zappa do you think is also a component of this? But, you know, I think the more MPs feel as though they have personal brands, I think the pandemic, when lots of these new MPs weren't really in Parliament for the early stages, I think they feel like they're less part of a team, has all contributed to a situation where, you know, away, not just about votes, but just generally, you have a more rebellious party. And I, and it does feel, as you know, Craig thinks that this parliamentary party seems way harder to control than perhaps someone in the David Cameron years. There's two points there, just just quickly. I, I take your point about Nigel Farage, and of course he's a, uh, he's a force in British politics. But the reality is that successive Conservative leaders have chosen to die in a ditch over this issue over and over again, and they have raised expectations on this issue without being able to deliver. That is the Conservatives' fault and only the Conservatives' fault, and it has been a great strategic error. I think you're absolutely right. I remember when in the early days of coming to um, number 10, David Cameron saying to me, look, what you've got to understand about MPs is they're much more like congressmen and congresswomen. They feel increasingly that they have a loyalty to the area that they come to before they have their party. You're absolutely right. Social media has had an impact on that and wound it up. But more fundamentally, I just think that there is a basic philosophical split that is difficult to resolve in the Conservative Party between people who believe in the institutions and the rule of law and following international law and being part of international treaties and others who just want to kick over the traces of all of that and say, look, we have nothing, we don't want anything to do with that. That is a fundamental philosophical split and it is going to be very, very hard to resolve that. And I think you can see that in terms of the 2019 coalition, we all get, uh, you know, constantly in all these debates, having said, well, how do we recreate that 2019 coalition? It seems to me as though perhaps you can't in the sense the 2019 election result. Yes, part of that was Boris Johnson, but it was effectively three things. Boris Johnson, Jeremy Corbyn, and this idea of getting Brexit done after absolute chaos in Parliament. Instead of bringing resolution to something. That allowed them, I think, to bring lots of different voters together. And I struggled to see once you no longer have Jeremy Corbyn as Labour leader, I think his Starmer is someone who is just not scary to lots of voters in the way, you know, potentially previous others have. I think there is a bit of a Boris Johnson factor in the sense he didn't appeal to some voters. I don't think it was you know, the only reason they did well in 2019. But then also that sense of, uh, you know, a vote to, to end something in terms of Brexit. They're all gone. And therefore, is there a coherent thread that ties some of these voters from the 2019, if you think, and obviously blue wall, red wall, I think are very blunt ways of putting it. But, you know, perhaps your more traditional Tory Lib Dem voters with your uh, you know, 2019 realignment voters, it is a really hard thing to do at the very beginning. And I think in lots of the debates that you hear um, within the Tory party, it is to one part of that coalition. And almost the, the Conservative Party can try and probably will try and hold both mm. in the next election, but perhaps the next election will decide in its result which way they're really going. I think that's right. And I think that, that a lot of the reasons for that coalition coming together have gone away now. I think the other thing that we should raise in this is 
look, the Conservative Party doesn't believe seem to believe that it can win next time. And I think that a lot of the behaviour that you're seeing now is a result of people positioning for what will happen afterwards. So a lot of the behaviours is who is going to be leader? Is it the right of the party? Is it the slightly more centrist aspect of it that will take control? The problem with all the fighting, the problem with all the, you know, kicking each other is that there may not be much of a conservative party after the next election you could really be down to not very very many seats and the reality of having to have a huge cephalogical push to get anywhere near the labor party at another election so it really really is a moment where they do need to say look any talk of having a new leader is completely crazy we do need to unite we do need to present uh, a united front and frankly we need to start talking about some things other than immigration that the public really really care about they do care about immigration but they also want to know who's going to help them with the cost of living over the next few years and there's just not enough discussion about that thank you craig thank you katie and thank you for listening to coffee house shots